As I shared last week, throughout the summer, we'll be focusing on the theme of worship and what better way to start from hearing from our minister of worship. Um, For 30 years, the vehicles, the vessels of praise that we've offered up as a church congregation have in large measure come through the heart and hands and soul and spirit uh, of uh, Beth Singleton and for over a third of that time as our minister of worship. Uh, One of the students at Golden Gate Seminary a few years ago was a major in music and she said, I came uh, to the seminary and knew all my life that somewhere there was someone who combined professionalism and excellence and music with excellence and personalism and ministry and love of the Lord, and I'd never met one until I met Beth Singleton. Uh, At the risk of dating myself, but I am dated, I I think I've served hundreds of churches over five decades and worked with dozens of ministers of worship, and I have never worked with or known a finer one than Beth Singleton. To, To those to whom much has been given, much is required. And so uh, we who have been blessed to praise God under the ministry of Beth Singleton have a special responsibility on us for Christian maturity and discipleship and ministry and missions and praise and all of that. After we hear from God's word, uh, we'll hear from Beth Singleton. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And again, Colossians, the third chapter, and the 16th verse. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is God's word. I want to thank you and Pastor John for letting me share my heart with you these uh, these two weeks. You know, all of uh, I'm speaking to you last week and today is not original. I've been reading and studying and praying and meditating uh, for decades uh, on uh, on worship and uh, what it means to us as we come together. Uh, as a church family. So thank you for this opportunity for me to, to share with you some of my um, thoughts about worship. And uh, we're going to pray, and then uh, we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us, that... Um, we can come to for comfort and strength and for guidance. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word today, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will open our spiritual ears and eyes, 
and that you will give us the strength and courage to follow in your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, we said that of all of the important tasks of the church, worship is the highest priority. From our worship flow, our desire to evangelize, to disciple, to minister in Jesus' name, to have fellowship with one another, and to do missions. All of that flows from worship. Worship, we said, is not a one-time occurrence during the week, not even a once-a-day occurrence, but is a continual living offering of ourselves to God all day long in which we praise Him, we thank Him, we ask for His forgiveness, we ask for His guidance, we ask Him to show us His will, and then we do our best in obedience to follow His will. And so our worship together is a continuation of our worship all week long. We said that our worship is not for us, it's for God. We should be giving him our best attention and focus. And no Christian is a spectator in worship. We each have the personal responsibility to come before God and dialogue with him in worship. We are all the worshipers. And our question as we leave should never be, what did I get out of worship today? But was God pleased with my worship today? Did I give him my best sacrifice of praise? Our church is unique in its placement in God's kingdom. He has given us this marvelous, incredible location on the Pacific Rim. And God has brought to us people from all over the world. We got to hear from Phoebe and Gombo this morning. And so our worship should reflect the very nature of our church family. We have chosen to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and lay at the altar all of our personal preferences and worship together as one family of faith. There are three pitfalls that I want us to look at today. On the back of your songs for worship is a brief outline if you would like to follow that. But there are three pitfalls in today's postmodern world that Christians need to avoid regarding worship in our church life. John just read uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and 2 warns us not to be conformed to the world. Another translation says, do not copy the customs and the behaviors of this world. The world's influence, our culture's influence, is a powerful force on us, and we must constantly be on guard against it. The first pitfall that I would like to mention is the world's admiration for rugged individualism. We often hear phrases like, someone is a self-made man, meaning that they accomplished everything on their own without any help for others. And the world really admires this. There are some Christians who think that they can be a good Christian on their own without the church. They do not want to be a part of a family of faith, but rather they want to do their own thing as a Christian. But the Bible does not allow for any Lone Ranger Christians. Remember Jesus' words to Peter. 
Peter had denied Jesus three times in the courtyard and then had deserted Jesus. And after Jesus was crucified and God raised him from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And on one of those occasions, he singled Peter out. And he said to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Feed my sheep. Now, who are the sheep? The sheep are Jesus' followers, the church. And so Jesus was saying that he wanted Peter to love and to care for the church. To show our love for Jesus, we are to be with and take care of his followers, which means that we are to love each other, We are to be with each other, we're to pray for one another, we're to worship together faithfully, and we are to serve together. There are no Lone Ranger Christians in the New Testament. We need each other, and we are commanded to care for one another. The second pitfall for Christians today is the world's penchant for pragmatism. World wants to kill two birds or more with one stone. We always want to get everything done in a, the smallest amount of time and get it accomplished and get on with the next task. And some Christians want their worship and their Bible study and their Christian training and their fellowship all in one hour. And they want their children taught in that same hour. That's just impossible. Every Christian, no exception, should be in a weekly Bible study, studying the Word of God with other believers. We have some great Bible studies at 940 hour, and we have some wonderful studies during the week. So every Christian needs to study the Bible with other Christians and be held accountable in their Christian walk. Now, the world doesn't like the word accountability. But unless we are accountable to other believers, the world will begin to squeeze us into its mold. And we'll start comparing ourselves to other Christians instead of to our model, Jesus. And we'll begin to fall away. I've heard this uh, phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. I don't know if you've heard that before. Someone coined that phrase, meaning that whatever is on our agenda for, for this day takes over our lives and all of our priorities get out of order. We must be careful about that. We must be sure that we keep our priorities in order. When I was a young working mother, There was a theory being advanced that it wasn't the quantity of time that you spent with your children, but the quality of time. Trying to justify the amount of time that we parents at that time were away from our children. But of course this turned out to be completely false because you can't have quality time without quantity time. We need time together, spending lots of time together, enjoying each other's fellowship and each other's company and learning to trust each other. It cannot be forced. And so it is in church life and worship. We cannot force our church life into a minuscule amount of time and then feel like we don't have close friends. Relationships take time. 
We need to be together. We need to pray together. We need to study God's word together. We need to serve together. And we need to call each other and see how we are. Relationships take time. And relationship with God takes time. We must be willing to offer our time as part of our living sacrifice of praise to the Lord. The third strong influence from the world that we must avoid is the pitfall of consumerism. Think about it. We go to the movies and watch. We go to sports events and we watch. We go to programs and plays and musical events and we're the audience. But in church life, Christians must at all costs avoid the temptation to be consumers. One writer said that church life can sometimes be like a football game in which there are 22 players on the field who need some some rest and there are thousands in the stands who need some exercise. <laughs> okay. We are but we as a church are called not to consume but to serve. Remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said, Now that I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. More than a few times, I have heard people new to the area say that they were church shopping meaning they were looking for a church that had the worship they liked, that had the music they liked, that had at the times that they liked, and had the children's programs that they liked, something that fit into their schedule and preferences. What Christians should be doing when they move and are looking for another church is to look for where God is calling them to invest their lives and grow and serve in relationship with God and fellow believers. Remember, worship in our Christian life is not about me, and it's not about you. It's about God. We must constantly be on guard against the world's influence in our worship and in our ministry and in our service together. The world is constantly putting pressure on us to squeeze us into its mold. And we must ask God to give us the strength to withstand the forces of the evil one. Now I want to turn our attention to a different topic, to congregational singing in our worship and explore why it's so important in our worship together. There are no other public venues that I can think of in which the whole group sings together. Can you think of any? We used to sing at uh, sometimes sports events, the national anthem, but that has been replaced today most of the time by a celebrity singing or by a local uh, person uh, singing the national anthem, and so even those have been taken away, and so it's pretty much our our worship life where we all sing together, and I want us to look at why that is so important in our worship. Firstly, we need to sing because the scripture commands it. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, come before him with singing. And Jesus said, if you keep silent, 
then the very rocks will cry out in praise to God. That's the scripture that the choir sang this morning. If we keep our voices silent, all creation will rise and shout. God wants us to praise him. We will be praising him for all of eternity, and so it's important that we practice. Second, every one of us has a voice. We may not be able to play an instrument. We may not be able to sing in the choir, but every one of us has a voice. Okay, so everyone can participate in singing the praise of God. Remember that we're all worshipers. No one is part of an audience observing what has happened. Each one of us is responsible for bringing our love, our praise, our gratitude, and our worship to God. And the most important choir at Tiburon Baptist Church is the congregation. The most important choir is the congregation. Thirdly, when we sing, we are involving our whole self. Think about it. We're involving our bodies because we're breathing in. We're using our vocal cords to sing out. We're involving our mind because we're reading uh, and meditating on the text. We're involving our emotions because our hearts are stirred as we sing and it goes down deep into the core of us. Putting a melody to words helps us to remember them. And the more we sing them, the more they become a part of us. A few of you remember Dr. Lynn Elder, who was a longtime member of Tiburon Baptist Church with his wife Lois. Lynn, in his later years, developed dementia and he had to go over and live at the Redwoods Convalescent Home. His mother was also there, but they both had dementia and they didn't even know each other, which was a very sad thing. But one Easter, after our Easter lunch, a group of us decided to go over and visit uh, Lynn uh, at the Redwoods. And so when we went, he didn't know who we were, but he was very cordial to us and we gathered around him, and we started singing hymns. And Lynn could sing every word of every stanza of every hymn. Even though his mind uh, could not remember us or remember his own mother, those words were down deep into the core of him. Music with a text as we sing it with our own voices, goes down deep inside of us. And even in the midst of great loss, those words remain. There are times when we come to worship that we may be discouraged, or we may be in physical pain, or we may be not knowing which direction to turn. And sometimes we don't really feel like worship. But when we lift our own voices in praise and sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation, or we sing on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, we begin to get beyond our immediate temporal problems and begin to think about the eternal and think about the living God. Another way that our singing contributes to our worship is it can help guide our worship. We said last week that worship is a dialogue between God and us. 
And so when we sing about uh, 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 thanking God, we are in dialogue with him. At the end of the service, when we sing a song of response, it can help us give voice to what our hearts are feeling. And so our singing can help us all through our worship in a dialogue with God. In addition, singing can unite us as a congregation. Just think about it. We're singing the same words and the same melody at the same time, lifting our hearts to the Lord. This gives us a means to unite our hearts together and sing to him, praising the Lord. I don't know about you, but there have been many times when we're singing together as we are all lifting our hearts and our voices to the Lord. I have felt God's pleasure as we sing. I have felt his spirit moving among us. The scripture says God inhabits the praises of his people. And I think we have all experienced that here in this place. Our hymns and songs of all types have another valuable spiritual blessing for us. These songs that we have sung for generation upon generation can connect us with those that have gone before us. Your mother or your grandmother may have loved to sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Or a spiritual mentor of yours may say, my favorite hymn is... Great is thy faithfulness. And when we sing that song, you may be reminded of those people that have had an influence in your life. I think of Shirley Harrop, a longtime member of this church who in her 80s passed away. But the very night that uh, she passed away and went on to be with the Lord, she was in San Francisco with some students doing street evangelism. She wasn't feeling well that night, and so she decided to sit down on a park bench, which she did, and she made herself a sign so that she could sit, and she would hold up the sign, and it said, Free Prayer. (laughs) That was Shirley, a fearless messenger of the Lord. And every Thanksgiving service, she would ask for, count your many blessings. Yes. And so every time I sing that song, I am reminded of Shirley. And even in her 80s, she was a fearless messenger for the Lord. But we can go back even further. I think of Martin Luther and his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He was a monk who desperately tried to earn God's favor to get into heaven. He tried so hard. He beat himself. He punished his body. He slept out in the snow. He was tormented that he could not earn his way to heaven. And one day, as he was studying the book of Romans, it finally came to him. The just shall live by faith. It's not our works. It's by faith. And he gave his life to the Lord. The Lord lifted that burden off of him. And God used him to change the world. 
And so when we sing, a mighty fortress is our God, we are connecting all the way back, generation, 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 to Martin Luther. I also think of the uh, hymn, Amazing Grace, that we sang this morning. John Newton was the captain of a slave ship. That meant that he went to Africa and Africans were captured. They were put on the, on the uh, ship and they were in horrendous, brutal, horrible conditions. And thousands of them died just on the journey to Great Britain. Those that did survive lived a life of brutality and slavery. And John Newton was responsible for that. One night on his ship in the midst of a storm, he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't immediate, but he finally gave up uh, being a, a sailor and became an Anglican minister. And as an Anglican minister, he had a tremendous influence on William Wilberforce, who single-handedly was responsible for the abolition of slavery in Great Britain. And we, when we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So these are some of the ways that singing together as a congregation can enrich our individual as well as our corporate worship. But Paul mentions three categories of songs in Colossians 3.16 to help us and guide us what we should sing in worship. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So let's look at those. The first is Psalms, the hymn book of the Jewish people, right in the middle of our Bible. Jesus and his disciples sang those psalms before uh, or after the Passover celebration. They are a vital part of our heritage, and we need to sing them. Many of our hymns are based on a part of a psalm. Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation, is based on a few verses of Psalm 103, and we sang that this morning. So we need to keep those psalms as a part of our Christian heritage. But what would be missing if the early Christians sang only the psalms? Songs about Jesus. And so, Paul mentions hymns, which were songs about Jesus. They taught the story of Jesus, and they taught the correct doctrine of Jesus. There are several hymns in the New Testament, but one of the best is this Philippians 2, 5 through 11, who, if, if you remember, in some of your Bibles will be set off like a hymn, where it says... In your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And it goes on through verse 11. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a beautiful New Testament hymn. So we need to sing hymns to help us with the correct doctrine. This morning we sang a, a newer hymn, In Christ Alone. And if you look at that last stanza, what it uh, tells us, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. What a great hymn to memorize and know. The third category of song that Paul mentions is the songs of the Spirit. These songs were more extemporaneous and more testimonial about what God had done in the individual's life. I like to think of them today as songs that are simpler with fewer words maybe one or two main thoughts with some repetition to help us focus and meditate on the Lord. We sang this morning, I sing praises to your name, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. Last week we sang Glorify Thy Name, which I think is a beautiful song of the Spirit. So we have these three types of songs that Paul tells us to sing. The Psalms, which call us to the majesty and power of God. Hymns, which help us with our doctrine and theological beliefs. And songs of the Spirit, which help us to have a more intimate and personal time of praise with the Lord. The last part of that verse of Colossians 3.16 says, Singing with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. We have so much to be grateful for, don't we? Gratitude should permeate our lives, it should permeate our worship, and it should permeate our singing. Our lives should shine forth gratitude. Gratitude for that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Gratitude. That Jesus did not feel that equality with God was something to be clung to. But he left his home in glory and came to live among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Gratitude that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us and paid the penalty for each one of us by his death on the cross. Gratitude that on the third day God raised him from the dead, conquering pain and sin and sadness and death. Gratitude that by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we can be saved. Gratitude that God gave us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide. Gratitude that we can spend eternity with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gratitude that God has given every Christian a purpose in life, to love him and worship him, to tell others about him, to love his church, and to grow in our relationship with him. 
1 Peter 1, 9 and 10 says, You are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests. God's holy nation. His very own possession. This is so that you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you received none of God's mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as we come to a time of response today, let's express our gratitude to God for all that he has done for us. Regardless of our circumstances at the moment, we know where we will spend eternity. And we know that we have a purpose in life from God. If you've never joined with us and would um, feel God's call to invest your life here with us at Tiburon Baptist Church, we would love for you to join us and come forward and, and uh, talk to Pastor John and pray with him. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, this is the day to do that and accept his free gift of salvation and purpose and joy and love. Let's pray together. Lord, there's so much that we have to be grateful for. We thank you that we have the opportunity through our own voices to express to you how we thank you and we praise you and we honor you, we adore you and we love you. Lord, give us a heart of gratitude all during the week so that we can share your love with those that we come in contact with every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together, give thanks.